All right, so uh, got a quiz here to start with, as Pastor often does. And uh, the first question goes like this. Which month is the most popular vacation holiday month in the Western world? It is August. You got it. And that's why you got a pinch hitter today. Okay, so Pastor is gone. He's taking a couple, a couple days off on vacation. He's gone. So that's the only question that we have right there. We're going to go into our, our study, right? <laughs> Spirit world around us. Let's, uh, we're going to pick up. Uh, I tried listening to a little bit of where Pastor left off and tried to, to pick up a little bit to get my head wrapped around where he's been because I've been doing the parables with the college and career. So to jump from parables into the spirit world around us, a little bit of a jump, a little difference. Uh, but hopefully it will be a challenge and an encouragement to you as well. I was really, really uh, challenged by the, the thought of when we're looking at the spirit world and as we look today at the armor of God and we look at the encouragement and the power that God gives to us, as, as we go through, the, the perspective that sometimes I forget who is on my side. And that it's not simply just me versus Satan or me versus the demonic hordes or me versus this world or me versus somebody else. But even as we learned last week and we watched as pastor preached on Elijah and as he's going before the prophets of Baal, we, we learn that with God, one is a majority. And as, as cliche as that can become, there's, a, there's a, a deep theological truth that's embedded there that the power of God is, is implanted in us and we are empowered by him as we are yielded to the spirit, as we are following him, and as we are, we are looking to abide in his word and abide in Christ. And through that, the Bible talks about we can bear much fruit. We can continue to grow uh, in him. So as we, as we look, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6 this morning looking uh, predominantly verses 10 through 18, uh, a classic passage. And there's always those passages that as a pastor, sometimes you get, you get a little nervous coming to because of the familiarity of them. You, people are like, oh yeah, here we go, armor of God, put it on, you know, stand and, and you can do this. But taking the time to, to couch it in its context, to understand where Paul is going, what Paul is envisioning, what's happening here, it really, it really does help us. As he comes to the end of the book of Ephesians, he's looking and saying, finally, my brethren, based on everything, all the theology we've talked to you about, about the, the, the sovereignty of God, his providence, his power, his grace, his truth, that he's walked through the book of Ephesians and then giving us these practical aspects in chapters four and five. And he's looking and saying, hey, this is, this is how you live as light in this darkened world. This is how you should interact with your coworkers, with your neighbors, with your family, with your friends, with your church. And he, and he rolls all that, and as he, he comes to the end, looking and saying, I know all those things are difficult, and to stand in our world, it is hard, and it is, it is a, uh, an enormous task, but as believers, we can do that, and we should be seeking to do it. And he says, finally, my brethren, this is the last thing, I want you to be strong in the Lord. And, and oftentimes, those last words are, are important words. We sometimes think, oh, it's just the closing, he's trying to wrap it up and finish up. But Paul is driving to this point, saying, finally, right here. This is, you need to, you need to do this. You want to, you want to live this way, as I've written throughout the book. You want to live in this world, in this, this difficult world around us, living for the Spirit. You need to be strong in the Lord. And so, as we engage the enemy, we need the right equipment, or we need the right empowerment as we go through. So let's, let's take some time, and let's talk about the engagement. According to this passage, this conflict is between us and demons. 
uh, as he talked, be strong in the Lord, the powers might put on the whole armor that you may be able to withstand the wiles, the trickeries, the, the, the cunning ways of the devil. For we wrestle not, he says, against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness in this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So, so Paul is looking and saying the spiritual battle that we engage in it's not just with ourselves or it's not just with the world, but there is a, there is a spiritual dynamic. There is a demonic influence in this world. The Satan being the prince of this world, he, they're looking to thwart us. They're looking to come against us. So he says, hey, this conflict is between us and demons. So it is a spiritual conflict. The conflict, it's a great battle. You see that it's an ongoing battle. We're wrestling against supernatural forces. This is not simply just something like if I just dig in hard enough, I can pull up my own bootstraps and I can go forward and I can do this on my own. This battle is something that is severe. It is massive. It is a worldwide scale. It's not simply, I am not the only one who faces the spiritual battle. Each and every one of you faces that same spiritual battle. Though it might be different in the battles we have, we still face this ongoing battle. It's we're continually wrestling over and over and over again against this flesh and blood. We are being stretched on a continual basis. Some of you have been through that. You know it. You, you feel like you get through the battle, and then the next battle begins, and then the next, and it's, it's relentless. And, and part of that is as you continue to grow in Christ, Satan and does not want that. The, the world does not want to see us thriving in our spiritual, spiritual walk. It is a universal battle, as I mentioned. He says, my brethren. He doesn't, he doesn't just say you individually or me individually. He's talking to Christians, to believers around the world. He's saying this, this battle, it is that you may be able to stand, that we, verse 12, may be able to do this. He says, the, the, um, for we wrestle. Paul is including you with him, which... To me, when I was going through, I was like, wait, that's, a, that's an encouragement to me. Because I look at Paul as this amazing man who was able to, you know, bear his thorn in the flesh. This amazing man who was able to stand against the, the powers, the, the demons, the, the, the wickedness of his age and his world. And he looks and he says, we. He puts us in with him. He says, we're in the same battle. And if we're in the same battle, he's going to drive to the fact that we have the same armor, we have the same God, we have the same person that we can run to. And if Paul can do it, then there's hope that I can as well through the word of God, through the power of God and living in the spirit. The conflict beyond that, it's an unavoidable one. There, you may withstand. In other words, as they're coming to you, we're going to face difficulties. Happened this week, talking with one of the teens. They're looking and saying, but I thought when I became a Christian, things would get so much better. And so it was an opportunity to look and say, there's, there's a better outcome. There's a, there's a longing hope, but there are still difficulties because now you're excited for the Lord. You're excited to do what's right, but Satan does not want that. And we, we actually came here to this passage and said, look, you're going to have conflicts that are going to be unavoidable. So if we're looking and saying, hey, this is just going to be a great life's a bowl of cherries, we know, we know that's not consistent with the word of God. Even James reminds us that when trials and temptations come, we're to count it all joy, but they are going to, to come to us. This is a personal battle. The spiritual conflict, though, though Satan will and, and he attacks the church as a whole, there are, there are places, and we're seeing this more and more in our society, where, where Christianity is being attacked as a whole 
or believers who, are, who hold to a very strong theology, a strong conservative theology, they're being attacked as a whole. But he says there is going to be a personal, spiritual battle that you face. And that battle may be different than the one I face. There, there will be some of you, you, you face battles because of health, because of uh, different sins that I don't face. But I face different ones because of sins that I struggle with or because of different things that come into my life and are allowed into my life. We look at Job. Job through a very spiritual, though he never understood and realized that, we know big spiritual battle happening in his life. The things that happened to Job would they, would they really, would they hurt us if we lost family? Absolutely. If we lost home, yes. If we, if we lost all of our possessions, absolutely. But that was specific to Job. That doesn't necessarily mean that my spiritual battle that I end up facing is going to be the same that, that Job goes through. And the same is vice versa here. It's a serious battle. We, when we talk about wrestling in the ancient Near East, it was often a match to the death. When you would step in, and, and sometimes not even a match to the death, but when you were in the battle, many men died. They would be involved in, in just through the whole process. Something would happen. Arms would be broken. Legs would be broken. That even happened when I wrestled in college. There would be times that, that when somebody would do something, and they would just twist the arm just the wrong way, and shoulder pops out of socket. Or, you know, an arm gets broken. And those, those different things, the guy gets picked up and thrown to, the, thrown to the mat, and we just had the mats. They didn't have mats. They just had the ground. You get thrown to the mat really hard, and a guy's, a guy's collarbone breaks. It's a serious endeavor. Well, it was even more so back then, and as Paul is envisioning what is happening, he's saying this, this wrestling match that we are in with the spirit world around us, it is a serious battle. So if, if Satan and the, the dark uh, forces of this world, the demons, they take this as a serious endeavor— should not we as believers look and say, oh, it's just, you know, it's, uh, I don't understand the whole demon thing, so it's not that big of an issue. No, we need to look and say, wait, we are in a battle. We are in a conflict in our world. We need to take this as a serious matter. So who is the enemy that we're facing? As we look, what is this, look in verse 12. What does is, what is this verse uh, tell us a little bit about? For we wrestle against flesh, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness and high places, against spiritual wickedness and high places. The enemy, it gives us some different ideas, some different thoughts as we look at who is our enemy. The enemy's real. He's not looking and saying it's just, you know, this, this ideology out there that we're wrestling against. It's not just the world per se, oh, it's just the bad things. No, this is a genuine, real battle. We're, we're facing against wickedness. And as we know, we are called to be children of light. We are called to righteousness, to, to live correctly, according to God's word in this world. So we look and say, okay, it's, it's real. It is a powerful battle. The, the powers, the principalities, there, there's many in number. It's not just, okay, we wrestle against a demon. It says we wrestle against multiple different dynamics that are coming against us. There's an organized uh, aspect. It, it's, there seems to be a hierarchy that goes through the, through the passage, the principalities against powers, rulers, um, spiritual wickedness. Uh, there, there's an organized attack. It's not just this hodgepodge of, oh, there happened to be this demon floating by today and he attacked me. There's purpose. 
to what Satan is doing. There is strategy that we can look through our world and see Satan is attacking. Satan is coming from an organized dynamic. And he's been at this for a long time. So he knows how to attack. He knows where to go. We are told later on to withstand. There's an aggressive attack. It's as, as we talk about the, the Romans, as they're, as they're battling and they're, they're planting in to, to do battle, they're withstanding because the idea is the enemy is charging at us and we need to lean in and we need to stand strong. So they, the enemy is aggressively attacking us. They're, they're intelligent. They're not just, they're, they're not buffoons. Satan is not just this stupid entity, which I think is, is concerning because we've, we've become so familiar in our society with the idea of Satan, with the idea of dark spiritual things, through whether it's through movies, media, uh, just thinking about it, that we sort of have trivialized this concept of the darkness of Satan. We just think, oh, pointy little guy with a pitchfork and a little tail, and he'll maniacally laugh at you, and that's about it. And we've almost become desensitized to the wiles, to the trickery, to the treachery, to the knowledge of Satan. That we just sort of say, okay, if, if it's not really, it's just my bad choices. But Satan is fearless. He is bold. He is coming after us. Though every attack is not Satan directly attacking us, we know that there are things that happen in our life because of people they're, they're bad choices that impacts us. There are times that our choices of ourself impact our situation and cause problems. But we cannot dismiss that there are things that happen in our life because of satanic attack. Because God is seeking to oppress, or excuse me, Satan is seeking to oppress us so that we do not strive to live righteously, so that we feel defeated, that we feel depressed, and we feel like we cannot be doing anything for Christ. We know that his attacks are vicious. Remember 1 Peter 5, 8. The Satan is walking around as what? A lion, a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Not simply to see who he can paw at or, or strike down. He wants to consume, to eat us whole, to take us down. I remember Bob Metz a number of years ago showed us a video about the lions and how the lions attack the, the weak prey and how how graphic it was to, to really get a picture of watching a lion pouncing and tearing at the flesh and ripping, ripping a beast to shreds. And it's never really left when I think about that, that verse that Satan's not just looking to come in like this little cuddly kitty cat. He is looking to devour, to consume, to rip us completely to shreds. So the enemy, the enemy is there. What's, what's neat about the passage is look how he unfolds it. He says, okay, my brethren, I want you to be strong and in the power, in the power, in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor that you're able to withstand against the devil's attacks. We're wrestling not against the flesh and blood, but against all these spiritual th things. Therefore, wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about. Anybody, there, there's, a, there's a word that repeats often there. What is it? Yeah, it's stand. He uses it a number of times in the passage, and he's saying, I want you to stand against these attacks. We're often told, I'll, when you look through the Bible, we're given, we're given often one command to really flee against the attacks. What, when, what sin 
does the Bible talk about? It says, flee this. Do you know? It's probably not a great question how I'm phrasing it. Flee youthful lust. Other than that, we are told, stand. To, to go into battle. When we have these, these difficulties, learn to, to stand and to, to take power and to, to, to really go against. So he says, there's an encouragement that we can get. And as we, we look, God's going to give us some equipment that, that works here that's going to help us. He says that as believers, we can be victorious in resisting attacks. We don't have to look and say, well, I just need to run from every attack. He says, no, you can stand and you can win the day. You can win the battle day after day, hour after hour. You can do this. And if God is saying we can, we can stand, we can have victory, then we ought to. He says that you may be able to withstand, that you may be able to stand in the evil day. When, when it's approaching, when it's coming, you and I have the ability in this world not to have to run, not to have to cower, not to have to duck, but rather to stand against Satan's attacks, to stand against the spiritual attacks that are coming at us. Are there times that it just seems hopeless? Absolutely. But through Christ and in Christ alone, he has the power, he is the sufficient one, and he is our sufficiency to be able to withstand. We can do this. Each and every one of us, it says, can do this. That you and I may be able to stand. That we can do this on a repeated occasion. Again, that you may be able to stand and stand and stand. The, the wording goes, having that ability. No matter what environment you're in, whether, whether you're across the pond in a European country, whether you're in Africa, whether you're in Japan, whether you're in here in Lebanon, whether you're wherever you're at, says it does not matter where you are at. You have the ability, I have the ability to resist the attacks. Whatever environment we're in, we can and you can. You could be, you could be at college and your friends are trying to influence you to do something that is not according to God's word, that is unrighteous. You say, well, it's, it's God. There's no way I can do it. No, yes, you can no matter what environment you are in. You can stand and you can have victory over Satan and over those, those challenges that you're there. So God's encouragement, he gives us some encouragement in these words. He, uh, he says, here are my provisions. God says we can be victorious, but it's not just through his words alone, though he says that, it's also through the provisions, what he provides for us. He doesn't simply say, just go at it and you can, you can do it. It'd be, like, it'd be like if we just, you know, our, our young men who've been going off to the military, if they just go, if they just go to boot camp and they, you know, their drill instructor says, here you go, here's your rifle, all right, you got it, we, we gave you some words, you, we, know, we told you what to do, and that's it, go ahead, we're going to send you off to battle. It would be complete disarray. But rather, there's, there's boot camp, there's, there's structure, there's provisions that are given, there are directives and orders and, and different uh, aspects that are brought together so that they can work, they can be strong, they can stand against any evil that would come against their nation. They have the ability, the provisions, the wherewithal, the encouragement, knowing that they have their, their army, their unit behind them. We have the same thing when it comes to our battle against Satan. God is going to give us instruction, he's going to give us direction, but he's also going to give us the provisions and the abilities and the, the directives that we need in order to be able to continually go forward against, against Satan and against his ways. According to this passage here, here's some things that God provides. He provides power. 
He says, I want you to be strong or be strengthened in the Lord. And what? In the power of his might. He provides a panoply, uh, the armor of God. The take, you know, we sing the song, take to the panoply of God. That's the idea, the armor, the armor of God. So we have his power and we have his panoply as we go through the, the passage. Now, there's a lot of verses, not just in this passage, but in other areas of the scriptures that talk to us about God's power and God's power over demons. Some of those include 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The one who is leading this world system talking about Satan. He says he's greater than that. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2. He also himself likewise took part of the same, in, in other words, in the human body, that through death he might destroy or, or literally that idea of they become, they become impotent, without power. They are rendered powerless to him that had the power of death, that is the devil. So he has power over, as, as powerful as Satan is, and we see that and we see the strength in light of God, Satan is completely impotent. Matthew 16, upon this rock I will build my church, the gates of hell, the, the hordes that are coming forth, the powers, the principalities, the rulers of wickedness, they will not be able to prevail against God's people, God's church. He says also, he says Philippians chapter 2, 9 and 10, God has highly exalted himself and given him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess of things in heaven, in earth, and under the earth. We often stop with the first part where we just say, uh, you know, that he's going to, and things that niche above, things in heaven and in earth. But he also goes in under the earth. So, so he has, Christ has, God has power over Satan. Now, how does, that, how does that encourage me? God's empowerment over demons also goes in cooperation with the fact that God is sharing that power with Christians, with you and I. He, he's not just, he's not just the, the person who stands off in the distance and says, go at it, but I'm not going to help you. I'm not going to encourage you. He looks and he says, but thanks be to God, which gives us the victory. That victory comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, Matthew 20, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And he says, lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of the world. As we're going forward to share the gospel, as we're going out into the world, Christ says, my ever presence and my all, my all, all sufficient power is going with you. So when you go forward, when he talks to his disciples, when you're going out and you're going to face difficulties and you're going to face attacks, my power is with you. When we go forward, when we leave the, the doors of the church and we're going out, Christ's power goes with us. It says in Ephesians 1, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to those who believe? According to the working of his mighty power. Again, to believers, the power of God. We, we try too often as believers to simply do it ourselves. We run to others, we run to our, our wisdom, we run to Google, but we fail to run to God. And God is the one through his wisdom, through his sufficiency, through his power, gives us the strength to, to do battle. He goes on in the same book and he says, the power that is working, how can we do exceedingly abundantly all, above all that we could ask or think? He says, according to the power that works in us. So we're able to do that and unto the church and glory, um, unto him be glory in the church. 
And then we get to chapter six, where we're at. He says, be strengthened, be empowered, become something new to you. It's a, it's a new dynamic. You need to work at that, allowing ourselves to be strengthened by God, coming in and saying that, that this is not me. I cannot do it by myself, but rather I need the power of God. And the power of God, the same power that, the same person has the power over demons, the same power as this person has the same power over Satan, has that power give it and wants to give it and gives it to us. We need to allow ourselves to be strengthened by him, allow ourselves to be controlled. And so he fleshed out, he says, this is what you need. This is what I'm providing for you. This is the encouragement that I have for you. So what does it all mean to me right now as we look at that? You and I can overcome spiritual enemies and our attacks. When they are coming, we can have the victory through Jesus Christ. You and I cannot win this fight on our own. It's not just us. Um, it says, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, let him that take, takes he, uh, take heed, let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. Some of the, the greatest falls in my life are the moments when I thought I had it all figured out. When I felt like I had just reached the pinnacle of spirituality or I figured out how life works in general. And as Paul says, you need to be careful we feel like we've arrived, on, and I, I'm above. I can handle any spiritual attack. I've, I've figured it all out. We need to take a deep breath, take heed, because as we stand, we have the potential of falling. So it's this continual ongoing. As we're continually in battle, there's always that opportunity, that always that chance to be falling. So it is that continual battle, that ongoing, that relentless, aggressive battle that we face. So even though we can't win on our own, God does not leave us on our own. Leave us on our own in serious spiritual battle. That's where I was talking about earlier. Just this point hit me as I was studying that we, God did not leave Paul alone. I look at all the tragedies that Paul went through. God didn't forsake him. God did not just abandon Paul, but he gave him the strength to continue through. He gave them the ability, even when shipwrecked, to be able to have the contentment and the grace to be able to continue to minister. God was willing and wants to give me and does not leave me in my battles alone. He continually gives me the strength. All the power that you need to win is available to you. It does not matter what, oftentimes as believers, we put ourselves in levels of spiritual, oh, I'm, you know, I'm a pastor, so I must be really up here. No. And, and some people will be like, well, I just got saved. I'm, I'm really not a strong Christian. So, so God probably doesn't give me as much grace and, and as much strength as he probably would to a pastor. Are, are, are there times that God gives different amounts? Possibly, yeah. But you look and say, the same God, the same abilities, the same powers are given to you that you might say, well, I'm just, I'm just a, a nobody Christian, which that doesn't really exist. But do you understand, like, we, we do that at times. We put ourselves in different rankings, which isn't, it isn't biblical. In, in God's eyes, we're all brothers in Christ. We're all sisters in Christ. And we look and we say, hey, I need the same. And you have that ability. You have the ability to do that. It never runs out. God's power, God's strength, God's provisions do not, are not exhausted. He has those continually. That, that strength is found in Jesus Christ. And you and I are still responsible, though, to do our part. Verse 13 of the passage says, 
Wherefore, take heed to the whole, take unto the whole armor of God, that you may be with able to stand in the evil day, and having done all that you can, you are exhausting, you are battling, you are doing as much as you can as well, almost to the point of fatigue and exhaustion. And you're, you're sitting there and you're like, I can't do it anymore. And Christ, through his grace, rallies you. He strengthens you and allows you to push through a little bit more and a little bit further and to the next, to the next phase, to the next level. So we, we need to do, what do we need to do? Which, uh, so, so we'll talk about that. What is included in doing our part to resist the enemies, the attacks. We are told, make no provision for the flesh. Pray, lest you enter into temptation. When we look through scriptures, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Okay? I, I'm to avoid all these appearances and all these types of evil. I am to flee youthful lust. I am to put off the old man and put on the new man. We, we look and we're saying, okay, I am to resist by prayer and fasting. Remember, the, the, the disciples are like, we can't do this. And Christ says, this is an intense moment. And this is only going to happen through prayer and fasting. He looks and he says, I am to say no to temptations. We look at those things and those are, those are commands, those are aspects of spiritual living that you and I are to be part of. We are to be doing this on a daily basis. I'm not supposed to make provision for my fleshly desires. I am supposed to stand and say no to temptations. I am supposed to flee away from youthful lust. I am supposed to take God's word to be memorizing it and reading it and, and saturating it in my mind. I, I really enjoyed, there was uh, the one young man who got saved this week and then another young man. There, it was interesting to watch the newness of the gospel in their lives. All of a sudden, their they're free time, they're sitting there and, and they ask like, where should we start reading in the Bible? They're like, I'm already halfway through Leviticus. I'm like, that's awesome. I'm really glad you're halfway through Leviticus because I get a third of the way through Leviticus and I'm ready to skip it. But he, they're, they're talking and I'm saying, Wait, go to the Gospel of John. And then I want you to go to 1 John. And by the, you know, two or three days, you know, the last two or three days of camp, they're reading when, it, when they have free time because it's this newness and they're taking God's word and they're just soaking it in. But as we, do we find ourselves as we grow in our Christianity that we know more and more about God and Christianity, but we know less and less of the word of God because we're not spending the time in God's word. We're not saturating our minds with it, but we need to be doing that in order to do battle with Satan. Per God, these things need to be done right now on a daily basis, on a continual basis, spending time in his word, spending time memorizing his word, spending time praying. Oftentimes my fear has been like through TNT and through ministering with the teens is that they'll simply think, oh, these are just little, little dynamics that they have to do to earn a missions trip. But, but the concepts of reading your Bible, the concept of prayer, the concept of, of being faithful in church they're designed by God in order to help us grow, to give us the strength that we can stand in the evil day. And I don't think I need to make a full-blown argument. Are we in the evil days? Yeah. I mean, it is, it is, we are living in a world and it's a world system that is rampantly evil. It is continually against God. So we need to do these things. So when was the last time you specifically asked God for power to overcome a specific sin or struggle? Not saying, oh, just God help me, but God... I'm really struggling with this, and I need your power. I need your strength. 
When's the last time you memorized a verse about a besetting sin or a struggle that you have? You, you may have ones that are different than me. You, you Not may, you do. So when, when do you memorize verses on your struggles? Maybe it's, it's lying, cheating. Maybe it's on uh, uh, lust. Maybe it's in areas of anger or depression or battles that you're having, whatever they may be. When is the last time you actually said, well, memory, my kids memorize stuff for Calvary clubs. When's the last time I specifically, you specifically took a verse around an area that you need help in and you, you do it? You refuse to expose yourself to some person, place, or activity because they make you more vulnerable to temptation. You may know that if you get around these people, you end up falling into sin. Psalm 1, very clear. Don't stand in the way of sin or sit in the seat of the scornful. Don't, don't do it. Move yourself away. You know, to look and say, well, if I keep going this way and I keep doing this, I find myself falling into these sins to make a radical change in my life in order to live righteously. And, and so Christ looks and says, we need to do that. Ask somebody to pray for a temptation that you're struggling with. Internally said, no, I am not going to do this because it is wrong, rather than just saying, hey, okay, no big deal. I'll just ask for forgiveness later. Should we continue in sin that God's grace may abound? May it never be. God forbid. But we just look and say, oh, I'll just say, you know, it's not a big deal and I'll just ask forgiveness. No, I need to internally say no and I need to get myself moved and radically go forward. So Christ is looking and saying, yes, this, how do you withstand? It's not just staying there, but sometimes it's moving. Sometimes it's getting out. Sometimes it's praying. Sometimes it's memorizing verses, but looking and saying, hey, we need to be actively involved in the standing against the satanic attacks that come into our life. So let's talk a little bit more about God's equipment. He's encouraged us against the enemy who is attacking. And he's saying, I'm with you. I'm giving you my power. I'm giving you my strength. And you can have victory. So what does he enable us with? What's the equipment that he gives it? And having done all, put on the armor of God. There is an active dynamic to this. And you can almost picture Paul sitting around, maybe, maybe with the Roman, a Roman guard next to him, a Roman soldier. They would have been around. We know that Paul many a times chained to Roman, Roman guards. He knew intimately the Roman, what they would be wearing, the Roman soldiers. People did during that time. It's, the Roman soldiers were all over the place. So he says, all right, let's talk about the panoply of God, the armor of God as we look. And he says, having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins, your, your midsection girt about with truth. So he talks about this armor is made, it comes from, and it belongs to God. It is the armor of our God given to us, his, his warriors. This armor is a spiritual suit. It's not a physical one. You know, we don't have to have chain mail sitting off in our, our closet everywhere and every morning loaded, loaded up and put on the plates. And it's, it's not looking like that, but it's a spiritual armor. It must be experienced. Uh, the armor is a must to experience victory over sin. To look and say, I need these things. The armor is needed by each and every one of us here. There's not, a, there's not a believer who is an exception to needing to put on the armor of God. He looks very clearly and says, you all, all of us, put on the armor of God. It's, it's a direct command for us to be doing this. So the armor is needed by all, all the believers all the time. It's a complete set and needs to be used completely. Which we look in, that sort of sounds funny, but could you imagine a, a, a Roman soldier who would go into battle without a shield? That would be foolish 
because the shield united with the other soldiers. It was their, it was their big, it was a huge shield. We'll talk about it in a second. But it provided protection to the whole body to go into battle, but I'm not gonna take my sword. I'm just gonna keep defending, gonna keep defending, but I've got nothing to attack back with. To have shoes that you would be, you'd be going against, and every time you step on, you know, it's like the Lego walk. You know, you're walking out, ah, you're doing it in Middle Eastern soil where there's rocky crags and you're, you're doing battle. You needed your shoes on. So he says this whole, the whole part of the body, even down to the belt, which may just seem like, I don't know about you men, but when I forget my belt, it drives me insane. But some of you may not. For me, it's probably because it pushes, belly pushes down in the pants. It's a whole issue. But it drives me nuts. But for a soldier to not have their belt on would have been ridiculous. So they needed the entire armor as they go. And the armor fits. And this, I was encouraged by this. It's, you know, because Sharon's armor would never fit me. Okay, but the, the armor, because it is a spiritual, it's, it's fit, it's, it fits, all, a one size fits all. So it is, and the armor is something that you put on yourself. I can't put your armor on for you. You, you do this to yourself. So thinking of your own struggle, there are no, wow, that one went fast. Uh, there are, there's no reason for you to be defeated unless you choose to do nothing to overcome it. When we, look at, when we look at all of this as we look at the full theology of what Christ is talking about, Paul is talking and says, you have God's power, the power over sin. As you have been justified, as you have been, been growing in Christ, you've been declared righteous, God's power is given to you. And he says that power that is God's over all of Satan, all of, over, over all of sin, over all demons, over death, that same power has been given to believers. I need to enact upon it. I need to put on God's power. I need to, to put on his armor and I can stand against the power of wickedness. So what do we talk about? It's every one of us, every day, every piece, putting it on. That ought to be a goal. You wake up in the morning, pray through, asking the Lord for the armor of God, asking for the belt of truth, asking for the helmet of salvation. We'll talk about, talk about those quickly here in the, in the time we have. So he says first, he says, stand therefore having your loins girt about with the belt of truth. It is the idea of they're, they're used, the, the belt was used to hold up the, the longer robe underneath. So when they were running, not tripping over, it's, you know, to, to grab, the, grab the, the skirt or the, the garment and to pull it up and they would tuck it, tuck it in their belt so that as they were running, they weren't, they weren't tripping over, over their skirt or over their, their uh, outer robe. It's not a skirt, it's a robe, but anyway, you get the idea. Uh, used to attach and hold the other armor pieces. So your sword, it gave you a place to sheath your sword. It gave, if you had anything else that you were holding, the, they would often have their, their uh, provision bag tied onto their belt. There are multiple different dynamics held on, but it's, it held everything together. It gave a place for it. And so he looks and says, you take the belt of truth and you put it there. It was used to, to display their awards, their, their medals. The belt of truthfulness, it is this idea of having personal integrity to say, Lord, as I go forward today, help me to be a man, a woman of integrity, to do the right thing, even when no one else is looking. Help me to, to be a person who is always looking to be honest and upright and true, to, to be a person of sincerity, to, to have no hypocrisy, to not live this way and then live this way. To, uh, as, one of, as one of the teens said this week, they said, I feel like there's five of me. 
There's the person I am when I'm at school. There's the person I am when I'm at church. There's the person I am when I'm with this set of friends. There's this person I am when I'm with this sports team. And there's this person I am when I'm at home around my parents. And they, they, they came to grips with the fact that, wait, there's a lot of different me's out there. We are to be a person without hypocrisy, to take on the truthfulness that wherever we go, we are the same individual, that there is no hypocrisy, that we are able to stand firm, that we are not able to be tripped up as we're walking. That helps us to do that. So Lord, help us to be honest, help us to be integrity. It provides us a good standing before others. He talks about then take onto you the breastplate of righteousness. He says, in, in verse 14, that I am to have this, this breastplate put on, having, having put it on. So what, is, what does it mean by that? How does it apply to Christians? The breastplate, it's made of heavy, heavy metal, fabric, iron, uh, animal hides. It was used to obviously try to attempt to penetrate a sword or an arrow, stop the penetration of a sword or an arrow uh, that was there. They, uh, they would often cover it with flaps of animal horns and hooves. They would sometimes decorate it out but it was, it was designed to guard the most vital of organs. To look and to say, I mean, obviously you can get your, you know, your flesh wound to your leg or your arm, and it's just merely a flesh wound there. But you get something, you get an arrow, you get a sword into the gut, into the heart, the lungs. We all, we're all very well aware that that is a fatal wound. So he says, I want you to take on this breastplate of righteousness. As believers, as we go forward, we want to be able to stand. We need to be taking on the righteousness of, of God to guard our heart, to guard our lives, to say, I need to be right with God on a continual and daily basis as I'm, as I'm going. And what's interesting is we're taking on this righteousness. So inherently, even though I am a new creation and I am now new in Christ and his robes have been placed on me and God, God the Father sees the righteousness of Christ in me and on me through, through the robes of Christ, my nature is still to go toward unrighteousness. I still battle with sin. So it's not inherent to me to live righteously. So I need to on a daily basis say, Lord, today, help me to live righteously. Help me to go according to your word, to live the way you would desire me to live. It's, it's the salvation, the righteousness through God uh, is provided us via salvation, justification, but it's also provided through our sanctification, our growth process, living through the Holy Spirit and living a holy way in our lives. So we are to, to place the breastplate of righteousness on us. And then he says, having your feet shod or, or put shoes on, uh, with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And so we're to, we're to have the sandals, so to speak, the sandals of peace uh, put on. So what were, what were they like? You know, they're obviously not like the shoes we have today, but very similar in some of the sandals. I think I've seen those people wearing sandals like that nowadays. But uh, they, they were used, uh, obviously, for mounting or uh, marching. Uh, they were a common ploy, uh, was what were called punji sticks. They would, they would stick down. And uh, they would, they would, when they were doing battle, they would try and uh, attackers would actually try and poke at the person's foot because they knew if they could get their feet, uh, their their footing to be not solid, that they would they would uh, have an advantage. So the Romans came up with, all right, let's let's find something that the leather going over, let's cover the feet so that as people attack, uh, they had something to try and protect their feet. 
uh, it would provide good ba- footing. So they're, they would normally, you know, about a half an inch to an inch and a half a base, but then they would drive nails through it so that as they were standing, it was just like a spike today that we use in sports all the time. And you, those of you who have ever played sports, you know the difference between going out on grass and running in, in gym shoes or sneakers and going out then and running in spikes. The grip, the traction, the ability to maneuver is vastly different. So the Roman army understood this and said, we want us to be grounded and sure and able to dig in deep in order to be able to stand against the attacks that are coming, coming toward us. So what did, what did Paul have in mind? Take, take stand or take hold of the ground. We need something to give us the ability and the stability, the firmness, and that's provided by the preparation of the gospel of peace. The idea of preparation has a readiness, a firmness, a confidence that is there. That as we are being attacked, we know that we have a good foundation. We have a good footing. What is it in? It's in the good news, the good news of peace, the gospel. Peace with God, Romans 5.1 that we are right with God and that we have a good standing with him, but we're also right with others, that we have peace, we're living with peace with other people. And we look at the peace of God as we go into battle, knowing that as I go in, I can, I can be strengthened. I can be encouraged because the God who has that power is the God who gives me strength. So we're peace of God, peace with God, the peace of God, be careful for nothing. And the peace of God, don't be anxious, The peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your heart, your mind, through Christ Jesus. So how does this all apply to us in in this area? To be able to withstand the spiritual attacks, we need to have confidence that everything is right between us and God. We need to have confidence that everything is right between us and others. We need to have confidence that all this will work together for good. We, we know that all things are working together for good to those who love God, to those who are accord, called according to his purpose. The shield of faith is the next one he t- talks about putting on. One of the most vital import, uh, aspects to the Roman soldier was their shield. They used it for multiple, not just simply to defend, but they would use it to attack. They would strike with their shield, and oftentimes they would have either points or uh, spears or, or little... little uh, cone-shaped, I don't remember the official term, sorry, on, on the front of the shield that they would use in close combat. They would just take it and they would drive it into a person and do damage, not just knocking them off, but piercing, puncturing, uh, doing, doing damage. It's very important. It was very effective. Um, oftentimes, they would, they would even take their shields, if they, they were covered in hide, dip them in water so that as, as archers were, were shooting flaming, fiery darts, arrows at them, they would, they would stick, but it would also help to quench, uh, quench the, uh, the arrows as they were coming in. So Paul uses, again, that analogy. It's, it's needed, and it would have been taken before they even go into battle. So the shield of faith, Paul is looking and saying, this effective piece of armor, you shall be able to quench the fiery darts, excuse me, of Satan. So again, that satanic, that spiritual attack, he says, with the shield of faith, you can stop it. Ta- having taken the shield of faith, which is really interesting, it's almost the first thing they grab because it's already having taken this. Uh, but he takes it. It talks about the size of the thurion. The, the, there's, there's, different, there's different shields that were used. And, and this one in particular that's used in the, in the language here 
It's a four foot by two foot. It's, it's, a, big, it's a big shield. It's not this little, just a little, uh, the round shield that would be used in like gladiatorial combat or close, quick combat. This was a big shield. It was covered. It was treated. Uh, it was used to protect. So the analogy that Paul is drawing here is we look in our lives. The, in the face of spiritual attacks, we need, uh, we need that which will protect our entire bodies entirely. That's what the, the shield was designed to do. And when, what's interesting is the shield of faith, even in Roman battles, when you would link up with another one or two or three or a, a whole legion of individuals, not the full legion, but a whole group, as they were advancing, as they were working together as a unit, how much stronger that became. And I, I even like the fact that as a unit, as we think about us as a spiritual army of believers, as we continue to advance in our faith and in our faith together and encouraging one another, how much stronger as a body we will be if rather than being individualistic and just being unto ourselves and my spiritual life is just my own and I don't need anybody else, but to look and say, by faith coming together, working together as a body, a community of believers going forward, how much more impact, how much more strength can we have even standing against wickedness in this world as it, as it comes to attack us? He says, take the, the helmet of salvation. They are made of leather, made of metal. Uh, it was a cap skull that would be put on. And it's the idea, we need to be protecting our minds against the attacks that are coming in. Do you take into captivity every thought that highly exalts itself against the name of Christ? As, things, as, you're, as you're listening to music, as you're watching movies, as you're reading uh, news feeds, as you're reading books, and you notice that something is not kosher, consistent with the Word of God, do you notice that? Do you take that thought into captivity and say, wait, that is not correct? You know, this is bad, this is bad theology. This song that, that's, that's, that, that we're listening to or we hear, that's not good theology, according to God's word. And we need to take that into captivity. Even, even, even Christian songs, not all Christian songs have good theology. We, can, we need to plug our brains in. We need to take into captivity. We need to be guarding our mind against attacks from without. We need to be guarding our mind from, from bad attacks that are coming in and attacking our mind, taking on us the helmet of salvation. The idea here has to begin to put on so we're beginning to put on this helmet of salvation, but he's already talking to believers. So when we talk about salvation in the Bible, there's different, the, the word salvation is used for justification, the idea of being declared righteous before God or getting saved. It's also used for the term sanctification that we use where it's, it's uh, being saved from the power. It's the spiritual growth process in our life, continually working on becoming more holy. It's growing up in our Christian life. But it's also talking about the glorification process too when we use that word saved. Uh, being saved from the presence of sin, the idea of going home. So as Paul talks about it here, he's talking to believers. So it's not this idea of take on the helmet of, of salvation to get saved every day. But rather he's saying in your growth process, as you're beginning to look to focus on the hope of heaven, keep that in mind rather than just living for the world here, Look to live for the hope of heaven, living righteously, living the way that God desires us to live. The idea, of getting, uh, the idea of getting to heaven with new minds, new bodies, looking forward to that, enduring through the hardships, enduring through the temptations, the difficulty. Uh, we'll skip through it, got all that there. Sword of the Spirit, last one. 
take, take to you the sword of the spirit. The, the Roman sword, that 18 inch spear, sword, or sword, short, combat, quick. Uh, it's an offensive weapon. The word that he uses here is the word rhema for the word. It's not the word logos. And it's, it's literally the idea of rhema is the idea of a word from the word. It's the short sayings. So from the logos, from the entirety of scripture, you are taking little words, small portions, memorizing those words, taking those words of truth that can be used in order to do battle against the spiritual attacks that you're facing. So it means we need to be reading our Bible. We need to find applicable verses to our situation, to the struggles we're going through, and commit those verses to memory that when you are there, you're able to do battle against Satan, against those, those forces through, uh, through, his, through his word. We're to be praying always with all prayer, with all perseverance, he says, for all saints. So we're continually to be in prayer, uh, looking forward to saying, I need to, to do this in prayer. I need to go in prayer, standing, knowing it's a spiritual battle. How do we communicate with our commander in charge? It is through prayer. Praying for others. As, as believers, are you praying that others, as they do battle with Satan, that they will live righteously? I, I'm thankful very much for the numbers of times you have come, many of you have come up to me and said, I'm praying for you. I know Satan wants to trip you up. I know he wants to attack you. I know he wants you to fall. And I'm praying for you. And I appreciate that. And I think we need to be doing that as believers for each other, going through the directory and praying through the different people. You may not know them personally, but you can pray for them as they are battling and going through spiritual battles that we're all going to face. So we need to, we need to look and say, we can live victorious. It is possible. Uh, we can, but how do we do it? Um, we put on the whole armor of God. We withstand, we resist the, the battles that are coming against us. And we need to take unto ourselves the armor of God. And through that, we can experience victory that God promises and God says that we can have through his power, through his strength. This week, let's take the power of God. Let's claim it. Let's put the armor of God on and let's do battle. Let's go forward as believers, as a group of believers saying, we are going to live righteously. We are going to live for our Savior in any area we battle with this week, begging for his victory that he promises to give us.